Welcome to this reading of the Business Record for February 2nd, Business Record of Central Iowa's Business Weekly. I'm Pat Steele. All material heard on IRIS is intended for the use of listeners with print disabilities. And now here is our first story for this week's Business Record. Johnson takes helm as the Iowa, Iowa's new banking superintendent. This is an article written by Kathy Bolton of the Business Record. James Johnson grew up in southwest Iowa, where he helped with his family's farming operations. The Gravity Iowa native wanted to stay involved with agriculture, but not necessarily as a farmer. In his freshman year of college, he decided to become a banker. Banking brought together things I love doing, said Johnson, who in December was appointed Iowa's superintendent of banking by Governor Kim Reynolds. I love numbers. I love math. I have a love for agriculture. Being a banker allowed me to stay in my rural, communi- rural community, which I also love. Johnston's ties to Southwest Iowa are strong. His president of the Bedford School Board is involved with his church and spends much of his free time coaching youth sports teams. He's also president and CEO of PCSB Bank, a $300 million family-owned bank that is located in Clorinda. Johnson has been with the bank since 2000 when he was hired as an egg loan officer. The position was one in which he learned how to be empathetic while also looking out for the bank's interests. Things don't always look great on the farm, but you've got to find a way to help because that's when farmers need you the most, Johnson said. I learned that helping sometimes means telling people no, but when you tell them no, to do it in a way that dignifies them, it shows them ways that they can improve so that the next time you can say yes. Johnson, who in the past has been active with the Iowa Bankers Association, became the bank's president in 2015. He will continue as bank president and CEO while also being Iowa's banking superintendent. Many of the bank's day-to-day activities are being handled by other bank employees, Johnson said. He did not raise his hand for the superintendent's job. I was approached and asked if I would be interested, he said. It means being away from your family quite a bit, and that's a pretty good-sized workload. After a lot of thought, I said I would be willing to be considered. He replaces Jeff Plagey, who retired in December. Plagey had been superintendent of banking since September of 2019. Iowa has 226 chartered banks, which in 2023's third quarter had deposits totaling over $89 billion, according to the Division of Banking website. In the same period, net loans and leases totaled over $75.4 billion. Johnson, who oversees a state staff of more than 80 people, assumed the role on January 1st, His appointment is subject to confirmation by the Iowa Senate, which has not yet scheduled a hearing. And the business record recently caught up with Johnston, and uh, Johnston, I should say, and here are the questions they posed to him. What is the role of the superintendent of banking? The superintendent is responsible for the oversight of the regulatory body of the Iowa Division of Banking that in September 2023 became part of the Department of Insurance and Financial Services. They make sure that the overall long-term objectives are being met by the department, which is to ensure a safe and sound banking system. They also have to make sure that they properly develop staff. The staff have to know all the businesses that we regulate. The superintendent also acts as a liaison between the regulatory and executive and legislative branches of government to make sure that everyone is aware of the issues. 
The superintendent also works as a liaison with the industry and trade groups. In a nutshell, the superintendent provides an operational perspective to the division as well as having a banking background. You're not just a regulator. You understand the inner workings of how the business works. Next question, delve a little deeper into the need of a banking superintendent. The banking superintendent provides an outside perspective and helps guide the regulatory aspect of the division to be focused on safety, but also making sure that the division doesn't stand in the way of business. There has to be a give and take in that regard. So having that perspective is important. Why is there a superintendent in Iowa that is a bank executive? in general to provide that leadership and guidance. How would you describe the overall health of the Iowa, of Iowa's banks? Iowa's banks are strong. Part of that is reflective from the ag economy. About two thirds of the banks in Iowa are considered to be ag related, which means that at least 25% of their loans are to ag related industries. A strong ag economy leads to very strong banks. Next question, you mentioned that two-thirds of Iowa's banks are tied to agriculture. How does that impact Iowa's economy? In my opinion, banks are essential for communities. Banks provide the capital that helps businesses grow and flourish. A lot of Iowa's ag-related industry. Banks are directly working with those industries, with farmers, seed dealers, and providing them with the resources to help grow their businesses Banks also work with the commercial side of things, making commercial real estate loans as well as consumer loans. Banks need to be strong so that Iowans can be strong, so the health of our banks has a direct impact on the overall economy of the state. Next question, what challenges do banks face today? I think the issue that banks face is the margin pressure based upon the rapidly rising interest rates. That has had to have an impact on bank margins or bankers' profitability. That is an issue banks have been working to address. Banks prepare for that, though. You're always prepared for a rainy day, and so that helps banks to weather those sorts of issues. Cybersecurity is something we're constantly mindful of as bankers and regulators. We're constantly looking for the threat of bad actors and for emerging threats and what we can do there. Management succession and employee turnover are issues, too. Personnel continues to be a challenge for banks. Talk a little bit more about that. Statewide, many companies are struggling to find employees. Are banks also having a difficult time finding workers? Banks are no different than other businesses. Banks are very focused on hiring quality employees and quality staff. The pool of workers has shrunk. So yes, banks are having a hard time finding employees. How has the increase in interest rates affected the commercial and home loan business? The lending side on the commercial side of banking has slowed. From that perspective, banks still remain ready to lend, but potential borrowers are consciously making choices to wait a little bit before applying for a loan. Some of that may be due to higher payments that come with higher interest rates or just the feasibility of getting a loan. Also, I think people see the opportunity that rates will probably ease at some point and they are waiting for that to happen. I think what we've seen is a delay, that, but that the needs are still there. As we see rates begin to ease, loan applications will accelerate. Next question, <clears throat> are bankers being more cautious in what kind of projects they lend money for? His answer, I think banks are always cautious on what kind of projects they lend money for. Bankers tend to be pretty conservative people. It's their duty of care. 
The national media has written a lot lately about concern about borrowers defending or defaulting on commercial loans. Is that a concern in Iowa? There is probably less of a direct concern for Iowa's banks. A lot of the commercial real estate lending has been done by non-state chartered banks, so it's probably more of an indirect issue than a direct one. Iowa banks don't have that as a major holding in a portfolio of commercial real estate. It's an area of concern, obviously, for the general economy, so we will monitor. And the final question, what do you do in your free time? He said, I do a lot of sports watching. I'm an avid Iowa Hawkeye fan. I love going to ball games. I coach youth sports. I help with little league. Really, it's trying to identify needs and help where I can. Now, a closer look at James Johnson at a glance. He's 47 years old. His hometown is Gravity, Iowa. His wife is Elena, and they have four adult children. His education, he has a bachelor's degree in agricultural business from Northwest Missouri State University, and that was in 1998. In 2011, he completed the Graduate School of Banking at the University of Colorado Boulder's Graduate School of Banking program. Work background, he began working as a loan officer at PCSB Bank in Clarinda in 2000. He became president of the bank in 2015. In December of 2023, he was appointed Iowa Superintendent of Banking. His other activities, he's president of the Bedford School Board. He's also involved with Bedford Youth, Sport, Youth Sports, which is a nonprofit low league program. He's board secretary for New Market Church of Christ, and he coaches and referees youth sports. Elsewhere in the business record, a housing study is underway in Indianola. The city of Indianola is partnering with Confluence, a landscape architecture firm, to develop a comprehensive housing study and needs assessment that will help guide the city's future planning. By comprehending our housing dynamics in depth, we will lay a robust foundation that resonates with our community's aspirations and needs, according to Charlie Drissel was Indianola's Community and Economic Development Director. He continued, as Indianola undergoes demographic and economic shifts, this data-driven approach ensures that we remain adaptive, responsive, and proactive in our planning and development initiatives. Initial survey results revealed that nearly 48% of Indianola renters are cost burden, which means that they spend 30% or more of their housing income on rent and utilities. Indianola is spending $27,500 to conduct the study, which is expected to be completed in May. Indianola residents, commuters, employers, and employees can access the survey on the City of Indianola website. Leisure Group, which owns Leisure Graphics and Signs and Grimes, announced that it has acquired the Des Moines-based window film and tint company Solar Solutions. Founded in 2000, Solar Solutions provides five categories of products, solar, decorative, privacy, security, and smart films. According to a news release, security films, which offer intruder-resistant protection to standard window and door glass and circuited uh, privacy films that can turn on and off, are products currently gaining traction. Solar Solutions designs its products to help control temperature and glare increase energy efficiency, and decrease the need for recurring maintenance. We recognize the demand for window film and tint because of our graphics business, so we're excited for the opportunities this acquisition presents. 
And that's a statement from Andy Lazier, Lazier Group co-owner and chief financial officer. He added, we're dedicated to upholding the strong reputation, high quality craftsmanship that Solar Solutions is known for as we look to expand their current reach. Elsewhere in this February 2nd edition of the Business Record, Twin Cedars Bank announced the opening of a new office in Des Moines located on Grand Avenue, set for February 20th. Twin Cedars, a wholly owned subsidiary of Twin Cedars Bank Corp. Incorporated, was founded in 1892 as the Bank of Bussey. The bank has $77 million in total assets and $126 million in assets under management. The Des Moines location is the bank's fourth Iowa office with other locations in Bussey, Lavilla, and Oskaloosa, as well as providing service digitally in more than 24 states. Ruddy, uh, I'm sorry, Rudy Forrest, the chairman and president and CEO of Twin Cedars Bank, said in a prepared statement, We are thrilled to be expanding our physical footprint into Des Moines and central Iowa. We look forward to supporting the thriving commercial and small business enterprises as well as growing our community in and around the metro. The Great Outdoors Foundation receives a $100,000 grant from Polk County. They received a $100,000 community development grant from Polk County for its newly created from its uh, for its newly created conservation fund which supports water quality initiatives in central Iowa. The grant will support education and resources on water quality related issues for stakeholders in Polk County in communities upstream that impact central Iowa's watersheds. According to a press release, the funding will expedite current water quality initiatives, including municipal training, expanding batch and build, water projects, and a resource data hub. This isn't just an investment in our region, it's an investment in our state and future generations. Hannah Eman, uh, CEO of the Great Outdoors Foundation, said in a prepared statement, and for more information about the Foundation's Conservation Fund, you can check on the Polk County website. And now we look at the real estate dealings in Polk, uh, Dallas, and Warren Counties. This is a regular feature of the business record. It's an article written by Kathy Bolton, a uh, writer for the business record. Nearly nine acres of vacant land in Urbandale has been a Hired by a national self-storage and moving company that plans on building two facilities on the property. Americo Real Estate Company, which is a subsidiary of U-Haul Holding Company, paid just over $3 million for parcels on Meredith Drive in Urbandale and also on Urbandale Drive, Polk County Real Estate Records show. The Phoenix, Arizona-based company provides real estate and development services to U-Haul. The properties were acquired from Urbandale DMD LLC. The development will allow U-Haul to better serve the storage needs of the community and activate a property that is currently vacant and underutilized, America Real Estate wrote in a letter to the city of Urbandale. The Urbandale City Council and Planning and Zoning Commission have approved changing planned unit development master plan standards on two of the parcels acquired by America. The changes allow the development of many storage facilities. The three-story building, which will be climate-controlled, will house interior self-storage units and a retail showroom that will also sell packing supplies. The building would have 39,038 square feet footprint and gross square footage of 117 
thousand between 10 and 15 full and part-time workers will be employed by what is called the U-Haul store and that's information provided by the city. The one-story 17,650 square foot building will house U-Haul's self-storage program called U-Box which offers customers portable moving containers. Trucks and trailers will also be available on the site for rental the transactions were recorded on January 22nd and January 23rd. In other real estate news, Nick and Joyce Bowles paid the John and Anita Brendeland Family Four Family Farm Corporation $2.6 million for about 150 acres of farmland near Elkhart. The land is about one-fourth of a mile north of Northeast 150th Avenue and east of Ankeny Boulevard and U.S. Highway 69. The transaction was recorded on January 22nd. Seven Seas LLC, which is based in Clive, paid Sue, our Sun Angels LLC $1.6 million for property on Stratford Drive in Clive. The 1.6-acre parcel includes an 8,100-square-foot office building that was constructed in 2006. The property is valued at $1.5 million. Dane Jorgensen and Sheila Bonstein paid the Catherine Waller Revocable Trust $1.1 million for property on Tiburon Place in Johnston. The property includes a two-story, 4,600-square-foot house built in 1996. Brookside Capital Partners, LLC, based in West Des Moines, paid Brookside Apartments, Incorporated $2.1 million for property on Southeast Jacob Street in Grimes. The 4.2-acre parcel includes 10 one-story buildings, each with four apartment units. The buildings were constructed in the late 1970s. The property is valued at $2.3 million. Windsor Capital Partners, LLC, based in West Des Moines, paid Windsor Chateau Apartments $2.5 million for property on 73rd Street in Windsor Heights, the 2.1-acre parcel includes three three-story buildings, each with 12 units in them. The property also includes garages and surface parking, and the property is valued at $2.7 million. And in Dallas County, MSC Properties, located in Dallas Center, paid Jack and Cynthia Hawker and Brent Molesbury $1.2 million for farmland in Dallas County. The land is roughly located near the intersection of Northwest 46th Street and R Avenue. Microsoft buys land in Van Meter for another data center campus. This is an article written by Kathy Bolton of the Business Record. Technology giant Microsoft Corp. has acquired 377 acres of farmland in Van Meter's Vision Park, an area on the southeast part of the Dallas County community that a decade ago was identified for business development. Van Meter City Administrator and the Executive Director of the Greater Dallas County Development Alliance both confirmed that Microsoft plans to build a data center on the newly acquired land that is south of 36th Street. Microsoft has been on a farmland buying spree in the past year. In late December, the Redmond, Washington-based company bought 111 acres of farm ground in West Des Moines, immediately west of its Project Osimian data center located on Cary Street. In 2023, the company bought over 1,000 acres of agricultural land in Mount Pleasant, Wisconsin, where it is developing a $1 billion data center, according to the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. 
In November, it bought 300 acres in New Albany, Ohio, where it also is expected to build a data center, according to the Columbus Dispatch. As the race to dominate the development of artificial intelligence technology accelerates, companies like Microsoft are gobbling up land on which to build data centers, a building that stores computing infrastructure like servers, data storage drives, and network equipment. Rural regions, such as the Midwest, have become prime areas for new data center development. FanMeter is the latest community identified by Microsoft for development activity. Microsoft spokespeople declined to answer questions about specific development plans in VanMeter. However, Liz Faust, VanMeter City Administrator, and Rachel Wacker, Executive Director of the Greater Dallas County Development Alliance, both confirmed in emails that Microsoft plans to build a data center on the land. Faust and Wacker, in separate emails, wrote that they were unable to provide other details about the project because of non-disclosure agreements signed in late summer. Specifically, Microsoft acquired 188 acres from Ronald and Deborah Gephardt, paying them $21.49 or paying them $21.49 million or over $114,500 an acre. Microsoft paid land concepts $94,785 an acre or $10.9 million for 115 acres. It paid J.D. Ventures, LLC, 106000 an acre, or $7.5 million for 74 acres. The real estate transactions were recorded with the Dallas County Recorder. Fission Park was designated a certified site by the Iowa Economic Development Authority in 2014. The site was among the first four industrial parks to receive the designation, which means the property is ready to be developed. The business park also is near an electrical substation. There are also transmission lines that run through the site that can handle the wattage necessary to power technology infrastructure, Wacker wrote in an email. The Alliance has been marketing site for technology infrastructure since its inception because of its ideal topography and proximity to the necessary utility infrastructure, Wacker said. The site has experienced significant interest over the years with a significant uptick this past year. We are delighted to be working with Microsoft as the end user. She added that the city of Van Meter has a plan to extend water and sanitary sewer lines and other utilities to the site. She said that each project requires different demands, loads on infrastructure such as water and sewer, and they need to fit each unique situation. For these reasons, communities often wait on improvements until an end user is identified and confirmed. Microsoft opened its first data center in Iowa and West Des Moines in 2012. It has since added four others and has plans for a sixth on the southwest corner of Veterans Parkway and Southwest 60th Street. The specifics about the project have not yet been released. The development agreement is expected to be made public by late in the first quarter of 2024, according to West Des Moines City Official. And you're listening to this week's edition of the Business Record. Our thanks to the folks at Business Publications for providing a copy of the Business Record to IRIS so that we can read it for you. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS program, please give us a call at 515-243-6833. Now back to the Business Record. 
And now we turn to a column in the business record. This is written by David Elbert called The Elbert Files. And the title of his uh, opinion piece to, uh, this week is Caucus Winners and Losers. Like more, most historic events, it will take years, maybe decades, to truly appreciate what happened at this month's Iowa Republican caucuses. But here's some takeaways from Ground Zero. This year's winners include Donald Trump, who put on a surprisingly effective campaign. Trump captured 51% of the vote in the largest victory margin, 30 points of any contested Republican caucus. Unlike previous efforts, Trump staffers organized a strong ground game that identified caucus goers while effectively smearing opponents and igniting fears. Another winner, Iowa Republican Party Chairman Jeff Kaufman, the magician who presided over the most expensive and most negative campaign in Iowa history. Iowa's Republican caucuses are basically a beauty contest. Unlike Democrats, Republicans make no direct connection between caucus votes and the delegates they send to national conventions. For years, Kaufman has diverted attention from that reality while promoting a fair playing field for candidates. His job this year was made more difficult by a governor who broke with tradition and endorsed the candidate. President Joe Biden, who undoubtedly is licking his chops, is another winner after Iowa's Iowans chose the candidate Democrats believe Biden has the best chance of beating. Another winner, Iowa's Democratic Party. By not holding presidential caucuses this year, Democrats turned over the stage to Republicans and bought time to reorganize their broken system away from the national limelight. Other winners, Iowa media, largely TV and cable services, shared an estimated $120 million dollars of campaign advertising, which was mostly attack ads, based on caucus night turnout of 110,298 voters, media spending amounted to more than $1,000 for each vote. And finally, hospitality businesses, a winner. Hotels, restaurants, and car rental businesses in the Des Moines area raked in an estimated $4.2 million during caucus week from campaign staffers and media employees. And now, David Albert shifts his attention to the caucus losers, and they include Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who concentrated his campaign money and talent in Iowa but failed to move the needle, coming in 30 points behind Trump. After the vote, DeSantis gave a speech that was reminiscent of Democrat Howard Dean's caucus night speech in 2004, which ended with a bizarre scream. DeSantis didn't scream, but gave a full-throated effort that invoked George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, World War II, and the Berlin Wall, and was peppered with historical allusions to a new birth of freedom, a restoration of sanity, and a plea to keep the sacred fire of liberty burning. Another loser, the full Grassley. The term refers to Senator Chuck Grassley's policy of visiting each of Iowa's 99 counties every year. Neither DeSantis nor Vivek Ramaswamy, the only candidates to complete a full grasp in this caucus cycle, got much benefit from the travel. Ramaswamy, who spent a ton of his own money on the campaign and claimed to have completed two full grasses, got 7.7% of the vote. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds lost on multiple fronts. Not only did her candidate, DeSantis, have the appeal of a chocolate-coated candy bar in a swimming pool, Reynolds also managed to offend the two men most likely to be our next president. The governor regularly trash-talked and turned down offers of assistance from the Biden administration to help feed, educate, and provide medical care for Iowa children. 
Plus, she offended Trump by not endorsing him and breaking her pledge to remain neutral. Given Trump's temper and well-known penchant for revenge, Reynolds must have thought his chances in 2024 were negligible in in that DeSantis was a much stronger candidate than he turned out to be. In either case, she was wrong, and her endorsement of DeSantis could result in a cold shoulder from Trump if he wins. And then one final caucus talk from Stefan Schmidt, Iowa State University's political science wizard emeritus. Schmidt noted, Donald Trump only obtained 56,260 votes. While that is 51% of the Republicans who caucused, it is 7.5% of Iowa's 752,249 registered Republicans. The very low participation rate raises several questions about the value of this victory, Schmidt said. But in politics, illusion is more important than reality, and that's what continues to push Donald Trump in the national polls. And again, that is an opinion column written by David Elbert called The Elbert Files, and he is a longtime columnist for the business record. And elsewhere from the uh, February 2nd, 2024 business record, the 2024 economic forecast takeaways 11 points from a panel of Iowa public, private, and sector uh, experts. Cautious optimism appeared to be the sentiment from the five economic experts who participated on the business record's annual economic forecast event panel on January 24th. Public and private sector leaders weighed in on what they expect from the economy in 2024 to help Des Moines area businesses know what to consider as they develop strategies for the year. Speakers included Robin Anderson, the state chief economist for the Iowa Department of Revenue, Tom Cavanaugh, vice president of BCC Advisors, Debbie Durham, executive director of the Iowa Economic Development Authority and Iowa Finance Authority, Kent Kramer, Chief Investment Officer of Foster Group, and Joshua Rosenblum, Professor and Department Chair, Department of Economics at Iowa State University. And here's what the business record reporters took away from the conversation. Emily Barsky-Wood writes, Durham said that Iowa business leaders are slightly optimistic about the economy, but they're still worried about a number of factors outside of their control. Among those concerns, geopolitical risk, the drought, the war in Ukraine, and the effects on the fertilizer market and supply chains around utilities, among other things. The world really is on fire, and so having to navigate that because our business is playing a global marketplace, Durham said. But even with all that, I still think there is this feeling of optimism around businesses. Immigration and labor pool. Lack of immigration reform still sits among the challengers with a tight labor pool, Rosenblum said. He added, a lot of labor that farmers need and that the meatpacking industry uses isn't coming from an immigrant population. And right now we just have this sort of stalemate about how we're going to deal with it. Congress has been incapable of coming up with a meaningful solution that addresses the problem rather than playing politics. Next area, effects of higher interest rates and what's to come. In in the last year, panelists said the economy has seen some effects of the higher interest rate environment, including higher cost of business, especially for small companies or farmers for whom interest rates went up 43% in 2023, according to Anderson. Anderson also noted that there are some effects that have yet to make their impact. He said, I'm looking at credit card delinquencies. 
those ticked up somewhat, so I'd say the household balance sheet in general is in pretty shape. But we're starting to see some cracks from things like debt-to-income ratios, credit card delinquencies. I think you still have a lot of businesses that borrowed at low interest rates. They haven't had to feel the impact of higher interest rates. Further still, we have a lot of mortgages out there that we got at 2% or 4%. So I don't think the higher interest rates have fully hit the housing market yet. Technology's in economic impact. Durham touched on a few different technology topics throughout the discussion, including the need for innovation in housing construction technology in order to keep building costs down. Durham said, our workforce homes are a very difficult thing to deliver in the marketplace today because of inflationary costs and all the things that we've talked about. The construction industry has been one of the industries that's really lagged for Industry 4.0 technology, and even though 3D printing is not where it is today, in five years I think it will be a true game changer in the marketplace as far as bending that cost down, Durham said. On artificial intelligence, she said the current advancement and adoption will spur major development of data centers. She concluded with this. The question is, is that a good thing for us or is it not? And I think those are questions that we as policymakers have to be able to discuss going forward. So that's an area you're going to see a real need because you have to store all that somewhere and it's going to put tremendous pressure for data center development. Those of you in the business, that's great. I think from just society and state economy, is that a good thing or is that not a good thing? Next topic was uh, softening the farm economy will slow overall growth. Anderson said she believes the economy will increase slightly, but there will be a deceleration of growth because of a softening of the agriculture economy. Farming has been a pretty big contributor to growth over the past couple of years with strong commodity prices, strong farm income, and strong land values. Now we're seeing farming soften up a little bit as prices go down and expenses go up. So I do believe farming will likely be a bit of a drag on growth this year. Another thing that's going on is a lot of us are calling for a soft landing. If that trickles down to Iowa, it will affect discretionary spending, finance, durable goods, and manufacturing. On home buying, Anderson said, a lot of people still have pretty low mortgages. I don't think high interest rates have been fully felt by the Iowa economy or the U.S. economy yet. Next topic was Fed's cautious approach to rate reductions. Rosenblum said he believes the Federal Reserve will be cautious moving forward as it considers further interest rate deductions. It's a little bit like driving a car with the windshield painted black and the only thing you can see is the rear view mirror. So the data they have is what's already happened. They're obviously engaging in forecasting as well. They have to be worried that they're going to accelerate too fast now the lowering of interest rates. And I think they will be cautious as a result. Next topic was something to feel bullish or optimistic about looking into 2024. Rosenblum said the state of the economy is really good, much better shape than anyone thought it would be at the beginning of 2023, which sets up a potentially really good year. He said that especially in the long term, he is optimistic because of new, new technologies on the horizon. I think that AI and green technologies are going to create a lot of opportunities for people who are prepared to figure out how to use them effectively, Rosenblum said. Kramer said that presidential election years always have a lot of volatility in equity markets. 
He encouraged investors to focus on the positives rather than the negatives that are often the focus of media coverage. He emphasized that there are a lot of things going well and that it's possible to be a very educated optimist. He said, when I think about this year, I go, wait, look, have a plan. Embrace the uncertainty. Know that there's going to be a shock. Surprises are going to happen. But at the same time, build in resilience because there are going to be opportunities along the way. And if you have long-term assets that you're committed to that you can hold and do well with, great. If you have a resilient short-term set of resources that allow both you to endure some difficult times, but also position to take opportunity when it shows up. I think 2024 is going to be a great year, Kramer said. Durham reiterated that the overall condition of the state of Iowa was strong. Due to our strategic investments, competitive initiatives, talent recruitment, and then you overlay that with the innovation technology as occurring across our verticals, they're going to continue to propel, propel wealth. So I think it's going to be a great year, Durham said. Kavanaugh said Iowa businesses have taken a lot of punches over the past couple years, but have largely survived and come out stronger. This year is a year about improving, just looking internal. And I think those companies that come out of this at the end of the year, they're going to have really strong supply chains. Management teams have really been baptized by fire. They're stronger coming out of this. Next year, they're going to go on the offensive and start throwing haymakers, Kavanaugh said. Anderson also emphasized that the economy is in really good shape. She said there is some resilience built in in case there are shocks in 2024. I think the consumer is finally catching on. If you look at the most recent consumer confidence numbers, they were really strong. So I think if the consumer holds up and the labor market holds up, this year we're going to have a good, decent year for the economy, Anderson said. Next um, topic was Kramer's advice to stock market investors is that you must be present to win. Kramer said he did a study earlier this year looking at the leading forecast of all the people making stock market prognostications. I'm sorry. Maybe we used the word predictions. And the average miss per year was like 14.5% above or below for the median estimate. Kramer's advice to investors is to be present to win. With the stock market, you need a long-term kind of portfolio plan so that when you get return like we got in November, December of last year, if you're not present and you're not present right when it happens, you just miss. That's always been true with the stock market. It gives return and very short and rapid growth in terms of the big movements. Long-term trends are great, but for most investors, they just need to be participating with that part of their portfolio that is designed to be long-term and just be present to win. Next up, attracting people to Iowa, a goal to improve the state's labor force participation rate. While still above the U.S. labor partici participation rate of 62.50%, Iowa's rate declined from 68.1 in November to 67.7 in December. Anderson said from people she has talked to, the, the dip is related to retirees. Durham said in order to improve those numbers, the state needs to attract people. It, get back, it gets back to Iowa looks different today. I said that by the year 2023, we'll have our first county in Iowa where the minority will be the majority population. I am in communities of all sizes two to three days a week, and I will guarantee you I do not see diversity around decision-making tables in those communities. So that's got to change. 
And then the second thing, we have to promote Iowa. We've been doing major campaigns that we've done based on research. We know that people are moving. We know it's the younger demographics. We know that they will move for, we think, we have a value proposition to connect. And so we have to market. We've been spending a lot of money on marketing and research. Next topic, keeping an eye on inflationary costs to services, industrial inventories. Although Anderson said inflation on consumer goods has remained low to start 2024, the state's chief economist will monitor inflationary pressures on services like housing and shelter over the next year. This, that has been pretty elevated, she said. The hope was as rents went down, as we look at statistics like Zillow, other types of statistics that we would show up in the CPI, which is the Consumer Price Index, and that hasn't shown up yet. According to Durham, housing bills are still being inflected by, affected by inflation. She said that permit levels in Iowa are at 2006 levels as housing costs remain high. The median home price in Iowa is up 7.9% from the prior year in December 2023, according to Rocket Homes. Durham said she's also watching the effect of the drawdown in COVID-19 pandemic-era dollars has been propping up rent and mortgage assistance programs. We still have COVID cash in our economy. I know that's hard for everybody to believe. It seems so far in the rearview mirror, but that's basically going away this year. Industrial supplier inventories could also have a delayed effect on inflation as the economy moves through 2024, Durham said. They were sitting on big inventories, which actually helped. By liquidating those inventories, really bring that inflationary number down from 9% to 3%. But then they're going to have to start ramping back up on that, Durham said. And we're seeing some supply chain constraints in some areas, and that's going to have the opposite effect. And then finally, final topic, opportunities in emerging markets, energy, and automation. Automating Iowa's manufacturing industry and plant floors is leading to a 20 to 40% increase in productivity and increased economic growth, Durham said. She said the emerging hydrogen fuel production market is a big play for Iowa, and the state is seeing demand from industries that want to invest in it, along with carbon carbon sequestering, biofuels, and bio-based materials like plastics and fiber. And why is that important? Because right now, for the first time, because all of these carbon zero goals, these companies have adopted are just around the corner. In order to do that, they have to dig deep into that supply chain. So now you have all this equity money, the venture capitalists are flowing into the space. So all of a sudden, something that was not economically feasible is feasible today. And we really see those as really big opportunities, said Debbie Durham. And that's an article by the business record on the business uh, record predictions panel that they hosted in January. Des Moines-based Surf Credit Union has hired Andy Johnson as its new chief operating officer, the company announced Tuesday. Johnson will assist the CEO in the overall management and strategic direction of the credit union. He will work in all credit union operations, which include planning, recommending, implementing programs and policies, and providing general administrative direction. Johnson has 15 years of experience in financial and regulatory compliance, most recently serving as a compliance officer at Community Choice Credit Union. 
was also previously executive vice president of compliance for Security State Bank in Radcliffe, Iowa. He holds degrees from Waldorf College, the University of Phoenix, and Drake University Law School. The Southeast Connector Project expected to spur industrial growth in Des Moines and Pleasant Hill. This is a story written by Michael Crum of the Business Record. The extension of MLK Parkway from 30th Street in Des Moines to Pleasant Hill will open the area to further industrial development and placemaking opportunities while creating a more direct pathway from Des Moines to U.S. Highway 65 and Interstates 80 and 35, city leaders said. What is commonly called the Southeast Connector Project will improve safety and the reliability of the movement of freight and people across the area, making the surrounding area an attractive site for companies looking to expand or relocate, officials said. Officials in Pleasant Hill said that when complete, the extension will be a three-pronged economic development tool for the community, which can use it can use to attract both people and companies to the community. Officials recently announced that Des Moines was awarded a $34 million grant to complete the extension. Construction is set to begin in spring 2025 and to be completed in late 2027. The Infrastructure for Rebuilding America grant is the largest award ever received by the city of Des Moines. Paul County, co-owner and CEO of the Des Moines Industrial, which owns the Transload facility along MLK Parkway on the city's southeast side, said the Southeast Connector will allow for future expansion of the rail-based facility as well as paving the way for future development along the corridor. But it will be more than that, County said. It's going to impact more than just this corridor we're talking about. This is a direct artery to the Market District of downtown Des Moines and other contiguous neighborhoods. It's going to be a really good thing from a development standpoint. County said he envisions industrial growth along the corridor, but he also sees the area ripe for the addition of a little bit of everything. That could include convenience stores as they see traffic counts rise as well as other retail opportunities, he said. I think that this project has gotten the attention and will continue to get the attention of retail developers and industrial developers like myself, County said. The goal for the transload facility is to expand as demand dictates with nothing built on speculation, which was the case with the current facility. I'll just say this. I think 2024 is going to be a good year for Des Moines Industrial, County said. Des Moines Mayor Connie Bozen called the Southeast Connector a transformative project. Having a really good road and pathway out to the interstate, I think, will make some people really look at the region and in an area that would never have existed without this roadway. So that's where it creates the opportunity for more businesses and provides people more opportunities for jobs. Bolson also said the project will enhance the trail system in the area, particularly the Pleasant Hill and Carlisle trails, and improve flood protection by upgrading around 4,000 feet of the levee system along the Des Moines River. The project also includes the construction of a 1,500-foot bridge over Four Mile Creek in a railroad track. For Pleasant Hill... The access to Southeast Connector will provide creates opportunities to attract new residents and businesses, says Madeline Sturms, the city's assistant city manager and community development director. She said Pleasant Hill has been working with Des Moines for over a decade on the project, saying when it's complete, it will create even better access to downtown Des Moines for Pleasant Hill residents. 
Sturm, uh, Sturm said that there are over 800 acres for development in Pleasant Hills. So enhancing that transportation network just helps facilitate those opportunities that will become available once this connection is complete, she said. Much of that area that is adjacent to the connector is in a floodplain. So Pleasant Hill will take advantage of that as an opportunity to create a placemaking amenity with trails and water that will, that will be an entryway into the community. There are also commercial and industrial sites available along the University Avenue corridor in Pleasant Hill, and the extension will provide greater access to those areas while alleviating truck traffic through other parts of town, she said. Sturms concluded by saying, this will allow them a safer access point to get on the connector and on the Highway 65 without having to navigate through the more residential areas. And again, that was an article written by Michael Crown in the business record. And Des Moines Parks and Recreation honors a number of volunteers. The Des Moines Parks and Recreation Department announced the recipients of its annual volunteer awards on January 23rd. The awards were given to volunteers and community leaders for their role in supporting the area's nationally recognized parks and recreation system. The Volunteer Award Program was established in 2009 to recognize volunteers for their service to the city's Parks and Recreation Department. In 2023, 6,284 volunteers donated nearly 35,000 hours of services, which is valued at over $1.1 million to maintain parks and trails, coach youth sports, lead yoga sessions, and historical tours, and protect pollinator habitats and more. So here are the 2023 winners. Lifetime Achievement Award goes to Mike Raleigh. Raleigh was honored for his work in Des Moines Municipal Cemeteries, which began more than six decades ago. He leads an annual ceremony to honorably retire thousands of flags and has located research and secured funding for unmarked veterans' grave. The Volunteer of the Year Award goes to Nikki Goodell. Uh, Nikki has volunteered with the parks for more than a decade. This year, she made contributions to the city greenhouse, municipal cemeteries, and environmental education programs. The Corporate Volunteer Group of the Year is, goes to Bankers Trust. The bank was recognized for hundreds of hours of volunteer work from team members and a 79% increase in financial support for 2022 to 2023. Volunteer Group of the Year goes to the Woodland 175th Committee. In 2023, Mike Raleigh, Christine Bartley, Jeff Kluver, Justin Ellis, Marshall Lynn, and Julie Lynn donated more than 900 hours, organized 90 volunteers, and hosted 600 visitors to commemorate the 175th anniversary of Woodland Cemetery. Friends of the Year goes to Cemetery Tour Guides, a team of four tour guides, Archie Cook, Jeff Kluver, Kat Rinkin, and Lorna Truck, lead historical tours through Woodland Cemeteries with a special focus on Civil War veterans, the colored troops, and influential women from Des Moines' past. Instructor of the Year goes to Zakia Jenkins. Jenkins started volunteering after a health scare. She leads aquatic fitness classes for people of all ages and abilities with a special commitment to serving the black community. Volunteer Services uh, supervisors of the year. Volunteer supervisors of the year uh, are Aaron Grays and Don Hetchkall. 
They donated 167 hours of time to co-lead 23 volunteers in the construction of three playgrounds, which is a record number in a single year. Special Volunteer Award goes to Nancy Dunbar and Tony Hayes. Over eight years of service, Dunbar and Hayes have donated almost 500 hours as members of the Beaverdale Beautification Team. The two are responsible for the planning and maintenance of Navy flower beds throughout the city. And finally, the Friends of Des Moines Parks and Partner of the Year goes to Variety, the Children's Charity. This nonprofit received the first ever Partner of the Year award for funding two playgrounds, donating free bikes and funding swimming lessons, scholarships, and equipment. And more information about volunteering is available at the Des Moines Parks website or by emailing parksvolunteer at dmgov.org. The Principal Charity Classic, with support from Salmon's Financial Group, is working with the Greater Des Moines Partnership to evolve a legacy project into a work-based learning program to help prepare youth for future employment. And that announcement came from Principal last week. The legacy project first launched in 2020 with funding from Salmon's Financial Group. In its inaugural year, $50,000 was donated to the Director's Council, a Des Moines-based nonprofit developing social service programs focused on addressing racial disparities and inequities in the area of employment, education, financial inclusion, health, and housing. Proceeds from the Principal Charity Classic will fund program that inter- programming that introduces youth to professional and technical skills. Students who are at risk of not graduating or easily securing work will be the focus of the program, the news release said. The Greater Des Moines Partnership will administer the program, designing a curriculum and implementing it in existing summer youth internship programs throughout Iowa starting in 2024. Funding will also sponsor weekly learning, network, and skill-building sessions with the summer interns. The Legacy Project supports the Principal Charity Classics mission of improving the lives of Iowa's youth and will equip underrepresented or underprivileged students with skills needed to meet challenges now and in the future. And that's according to Ken McCollum, the board chair for the Principal Charity Classic. Iowa Workforce Development is offering $250,000 to support summer internship programs in high demand fields for Iowans aged 14 to 24. Eligible entities include nonprofits, educational institutions, employers, and community organizations. Priority funding will be given to programs that offer internships to youth facing barriers to upward mobility in the labor market. The awarded funds can be utilized for various purposes, including wages, compensation and training resources, program coordination, and administrative costs. The application period is open until February 21st. An informational uh, webinar is available on the link at the uh, Iowa Workforce Development website. And our final story from this week's business record, West Des Moines-based nonprofit Wright Foundation for Sustainability and Innovation is currently accepting grant applications from nonprofit organizations and farmers working on projects that reduce carbon footprints and increase biodiversity and use of renewable resources. The Tree Canopy Improvement Grant is available to nonprofits engaged in urban and suburban tree planting, green space initiatives, and efforts to enhance tree species diversity. 
nonprofits and farmers focusing on agricultural practices that improve water and soil quality, manure use, biodiversity, or address methane and nitrous oxide emissions are eligible to apply for the John Harsh Regenerative Agriculture Grant. Since its inception in 2020, WFSI has awarded $525,000 to seven organizations. Interested applicants can learn more and apply on the Wright Foundation for, for Sustainability and Innovation website. Well, you've been listening to the business record on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicap. I'm Pat Steele, and it's been my pleasure to read for you, and thank you for sharing your time with IRIS. Thank you.